folks to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. Uh, we're on the cusp of a brand new decade, or at least a brand new year, if all of the Twitter historians that I follow on the interwebs would have, how, would, are right and would have you believe that we're not actually in a new decade. I didn't really know that this was like a contentious debate, but apparently, and I learned this recently, there was no year zero. Uh, so I did not know every that. Subsequent decade yeah yeah so you know like all the other decades like the first decade in the common era or in an ad uh year of our lord whatever the fuck was started year one ended year 10 uh and that was the full decade and every subsequent decade afterward apparently follows that pattern you know like in sort of like a mathy dumb kind of way so we're not really in a new decade but our site and every other site did end of the decade content. So I think we're in a new decade. Multiversity Comics says we're in a new decade. So we're in a new decade. We bad a peer pressure in multiversity. Peer pressure. Remember, kids, peer pressure is good. Uh, I'm joined uh, today by uh, Jake Hill from Multiversity Comics. Uh, Jake, how you doing? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, this is our first episode of 2020, first episode of the month. It's our episode to talk uh, a little bit about news and things, um, but also... Not a whole lot of news from the Marvel end as we're right in the beginning of the new year. And if you want to check out uh, some of the latest news, you can check out our last episode from the end of December. I forgot to mention, folks, as we're as we're coming at you in a new year, uh, we are hosted. Make My Multiversity is hosted by, as we just said, multiversitycomics.com, which is your home for all things uh, Marvel and DC and all sorts of other comic websites or comic companies and things. It's a good website. Yeah, you should check it out. We're good. <laughs> yeah, uh, has all sorts of great comic content, TV review content, movie content, and other fun think pieces and podcasts. If this is your first time with us at Make My Multiversity, I would love for you to to reach out to us um, at that site, at Multiversity Comics, or on Twitter, or in the comment section of this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is that you're getting your podcast from. We'd love for you to rate, subscribe, and uh, leave us all your thoughts. Um, but with that, so Marvel, at the end of the decade, uh, so-called, uh, released their big preview uh, comic thing for the year 2020, the year of our Lord 2020. And so Jake and I are going to break down incoming number one for you on this episode of Make by Multiversity. Uh, and then on the second half of the episode, after we're done, you can find the lovely DC3 cast boys as they give you more Don of X content. But with that, so so briefly, uh, and Jake, I'm so glad that you're here to help help me break down this issue. Yeah, there's a lot in it. It's, it was a dense issue. There's so much. There's so much. Uh, it was not at all what I expected, but I'm excited it, to talk about it. Yeah, I'm excited too. It was and wasn't what I was expecting. Before we get into like the issue proper, we know that now that what the issue is really leading into is Marvel's next big blockbuster event of 2020. And they previewed it before the end of the year, but they announced it fully recently we still don't know a whole lot of details but we do know the creative team so incoming this issue that we're about to talk about leads in to marvel's events called empire empire with a y because they're i guess trying to be cool or whatever uh <laughs> and it starts in april uh co-written by mr dan slot and al ewing and then illustrated by valerio skeedy um i'm glad you said that name and not me yeah i uh i've already made a lot of jokes about how it may or may not be shitty, but it's skeedy. I looked it up because I felt bad after I did that and I repented and now I'm a good boy. You're a better man than I. <laughs> uh, so we kind of know how the end of this issue 
ends, how incoming ends. And we'll get into that sort of later in the podcast. But thoughts on uh, that creative team of Empire based on based on like this issue that we read, based on incoming, based on on what you think about those creators. Like, what are your thoughts on on that event now that we have some more uh, details about it, Jake? I love it. Um First of all, Al Ewing is like just a clutch pick for anything. I was brainstorming this morning when I was driving, and I don't think Al Ewing's ever headed up a big Marvel event, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I think that's true. This is his first, and that's crazy. I think Al Ewing, um, I could make a pretty strong case that Al Ewing is the best uh, hire Marvel's made in the last like 10 years and is doing some of the best work. I uh, he could, I consistently love his comics. He, I have heard him talk about his approach to writing, and um, he's got a really strong research uh, process. So he's not actually like a, a deep cut comic nerd, been doing this all his life. He knows every piece of trivia, but he uh, is really good about looking it up and um, figuring out how he wants to uh, put his story in the ongoing story of whoever he's writing about. That approach comes through so strongly and as a lifelong marvel fan his approach is the opposite of say uh a brian michael bendis who puts his own stamp on things and sometimes uh, doesn't strongly acknowledge the books that came before so having ewing on guardians of the galaxy which he's taking over soon has me really excited because the 2000 when did that run probably 2006 ish to 2014 or so does that sound right uh, the the abnett landing run yeah something like that yeah because mm-hmm. they was they relaunched with Marvel. Bendis relaunched it at Marvel now. That's right. So that's 2012 right. to 2012. 2012. Yeah. So that's like one of my favorite comic runs ever. And I was really heartbroken that Bendis. You know, it's cool that he was doing his own thing, putting his mark on the book. But uh, I love the one. Be- I love the run before it so much that to suddenly make it feel like a new book that wasn't a continuation was a bummer. And I know that that's not mm-hmm. how Ewing rolls. So having him on the book has me stoked. And uh, I'm also excited for that Iron Man team with Dan Slott and uh, Valerio. Uh, it's it Skeety. Is that how we? Skeety. Yes. It's skeety. I, I'm excited for that. I know that Dan Slott is a a guy that uh, some people. Uh, how do how do I put this delicately? <laughs> there's not a delicate way to put it. <laughs> well, I, I I know that there's some people who uh, are don't care for Dan Slott's comics, and that blows my mind because I his Spider-Man run, the ten years of it, I thought was an all-time great run. Sure. And I I also feel like with a lot of Marvel writers, people are who do a, a book that's um controversial or that people don't like. Uh, everyone's like really quick to forget a classic, completely renowned, uh, universally agreed upon wonderful run. And Dan Slott did that Silver Surfer run that was phenomenal. That was one of the best Marvel comics of the decade. I think Slott's great. Um, I've liked his uh, Iron Man a lot. Iron Man's a tough character. Not a lot of good writers have uh, come up against Iron Man and come out looking worse for the wear. Like uh, my boy Kieran Gillen did an okay run with Iron Man, but that's not right. That's not his famous good book. At the time, I remember uh, Gillen saying, uh, well, uh, Greg Land draws very glamorous women. So I guess that's a, a plus. <laughs> and I was like, uh, that's that's that British politeness I've heard so much about. <laughs> Greg Land draws the same woman over and over again. Uh, th- that's true. I wonder who <laughs> she is. Yeah, I don't know. Someone who appeared to him in a dream long, long ago. <laughs> She's a siren that still calls to him in the night. I, that's a story that I would like to see him draw, actually. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so just uh, like every member of that creative team is really cool. Mm-hmm. I uh, don't know how uh, they're going to... I don't know what Slot and Ewing look, look like as collaborators. I, 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 By reputation, they're both wonderful to work with, so I bet it's going to be great. I, I'm excited about the creative team. Yeah. Uh, do you feel similarly? What are your thoughts? I'm curious about your thoughts on Slot because I know he's... Uh, 
uh, polarizing creator. <laughs> I am excited about the creative team. I love I love Al Ewing. I think that that everything you said about Ewing is is spot on, and I I would absolutely put him up at the top of like the best Marvel writers of like the current moment, like up, totally. up at the top top. And I love Valerio Skeety. I think he's a great artist, and I really I love even though I didn't so much love like what Bendis was doing on Guardians. Like I loved like the parts that Skeety illustrated. And I do think that the, the Iron Man book that he's has been doing with Slot looks really good. And also I read recently for the uh because Multiversity did a revisit of all the Marvel Now books for the end of the decade. And I read the Journey in the right. Mystery relaunch from Marvel Now with Catherine Eminen and Skeety's the artist I forgot that that was that. him. That's yeah. I I own that in trade. That book is so good. It's so good. It's he looks so different then because he almost looks like a like an uh, like a painterly ish kind of like Cliff Chang kind of artist, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's beautiful, and I it's just fun to see how he's evolved so much. I will say, I haven't read as much of Slot Spider Man Run as other people have. I read like the last couple years of it, so everything after uh, when it got relaunched after Superior, and it was like fine. I'd loved his Silver Surfer book. The stuff that he's doing right now, the Iron Man and the Fantastic Four things, have just been things that have not really grasped my attention in any sort of wonderful way. And I'm not like caught up on those books. I, I hear that. It's, it's definitely, I keep up with them. They're definitely not my favorite things that Marvel's doing right now. They're not my favorite things that Slot's ever done. But I think uh, conceptually, I love his Iron Man book. And some of the arcs work better for me than others. But um, I keep coming back to it and I'm not let down. It's like, uh, it's got this like fun Willy Wonka, anything can happen vibe. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It was, I, I was really jarred by the first issue uh, and like the, the subsequent issues like kind of made up for it and then it like lagged again for me because it was, it is sort of like a Willy Wonka-ish kind of thing, but there are lots of parts of that movie that are just like weird as shit. <laughs> and so, I don't know, like it just was a lot more like cheery and, but like in like a dystopian way uh, and like off, there was something about it. There's just something about it still that like is, is off for me and I haven't been able to put like pinpoint exactly what it is, but it's looked well, really the, beautiful. The, you're right about it. it. Sometimes it's weirdly paced and sometimes like um, it takes these weird tonal shifts where suddenly it gets really dark, but which is what, what I thought of Willy Wonka. And then sometimes, like you said, it's really upbeat and cheery and he's on like a wacky adventure. And then suddenly it's uh, we're dealing with the, the dark consequences. So yeah. I admit it, like I said, not my favorite Marvel book right now, or my favorite slot book, but I think it's um it gets a bad rap. I think uh, there's people who are really decrying it when it's a totally solid uh, at worst seven out of ten book. Sure, yeah. I mean, all those kids like die in the end of Willy Wonka, right? Like they don't come back. I don't know. Uh, that's every Roald Dahl book. Yeah. Uh Yeah. I I think it. I think it's our. Right. I will say like him and Ewing to work working together has me really interested because that just seems like such an odd pairing. And I'm curious, like what the Marvel math was behind that of why, why them together. Uh, but I think it, I think it has the potential to be really, really fun. And I think you were saying um, before we started recording, like that you're really into like the OG young Avengers stuff, which seems to be what the event is going to be drawing on at least partially. I, I, I got to qualify this, uh, I've been with Young Avengers from the beginning, and when it was coming out, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I can't believe comics can do this, but it's really of its time, and uh, sometimes when I go back to it, um, there's things about it that I uh, don't appreciate as much as I did then, but like, it's part of me. I, I, I was I, I, The series as a whole and the characters have been with me for as long as they've been around, Like, uh, and I can't say that about a lot of characters because a lot of them are older than me. Sure. Yeah, I, I think I'm excited about like it, it has like a unique enough premise and a fun creative team. And like the art that Marvel showcased briefly in the like video that they they put out looked really, really pretty. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. And I got more that I can say about the creative team, but I think actually it would make sense to talk about incoming and then circle back around once we've talked about what happened in that issue. Sure. Yeah. So 
you you read my mind uh so incoming number one 80 pages plethora of creative teams and writers uh a main story kind of written by al ewing and humberto rama or al ewing illustrated by humberto ramos and edgar delgado and then finished up by dan slot and then a plethora of artists luciano vecchio and espen uh grundherrn uh, Francisco Mana and Edgar Delgado, and then Carlos Pacheco, Rafael Fonteras, and Maury Hollowell. The issue, the th- pieces in the middle are mostly uh, by the creative teams of the books from the characters that are featured in there. Um, so I'll let y'all parse, y'all at home parse those out on your own. Uh, yeah, you well, it, because shit. they go through the entire the entire publishing line. Like yeah. uh, character by character, pretty much, yeah. with very few exceptions. Yeah, all the like pertinent high points are hit, and in, in this issue, at least like all the sort of like mainstream Marvel books that are being put out right now, whatever mainstream means to you. <laughs> well, so th- that's where I kind of wanted to start because uh, th- at, th- at the beginning, uh, before we started recording, you were talking about how um, you were surprised by this. Yeah, uh, and it seemed like a positive kind of surprise, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was surprised too. Yeah, this reminded me of. Um, do you remember they used to do um they used to do this sort of thing every year where they do like the catalog issue. They used to just call it like Marvel Point One was one year of it, which was a terrible title. And they did Marvel Point Now with all all new Marvel Now at one point. And around my household we started calling these sorts of issues um Marvel Point One Point Now Point Bendis because it was just like a very high concept <laughs> Bendis marketing thing. But it, where every issue there's was like a framing narrative. It, the last one I remember was from a couple of years ago, and Loki was the, the the perspective character. And it was just like Loki runs into some Avengers, and then they beat him up, so he runs to the next scene, and then he runs into Thor, and he has a conversation with Thor, and then he runs into Ghost Rider, and it's it just kind of framed like that. And this was cool because it was a murder mystery, and the threads connecting each of the stories were actually really strong, and it made it read really uh, like a real book and not just like a catalog. Yeah, I absolutely thought when this book was announced that it was going to be like a bunch of stories that didn't connect really at all, but that like there would be a murder mystery at the beginning of the story, like I kind of figured, I guess that the like what I thought was just the going to be the Al Ewing like main piece that was teased, like with the mass reader art was going to be like this main story. And then all these other creators were just going to have like a multitude of backup stories that may tie, maybe tied into the thing and maybe didn't. I th- at first I thought it was gonna, that empire was uh, sorry, that incoming was the event and that there that each one of those was going to be like a one shot or a mini series. I thought it was going to be like one of those. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that it was the setup issue was actually really cool because um, with the marketing, they got me thinking, oh, this is going to be a real thing. Then I found out it was going to be the catalog issue and I was kind of disappointed. But then it actually um, it, it followed through on the promise of being a worthwhile story in and of itself, which usually those point one issues I uh, used to read when I worked at a comic shop so I could read them for free. But I, I wouldn't uh, mm-hmm. I would never buy those. I would never collect those. But this was like a real story. I really thought it delivered on the murder mystery and that that got me through that, like really drove each of the vignettes. So your overall impression then of of Incoming was it was pretty good and like it works pretty well as a cohesive kind of narrative thing. Because that was one of my my big my big thoughts and some of the discussion that I've seen about how well this comic works as like a story in and of itself. Yeah, I'd really love for them to, uh, I don't know, a documentary of some sort, like a little uh, online feature about how they, the creative process of this. Because like, um, like okay, so at uh, Daredevil and Electra are training, right? And then Daredevil um, 
uh, sees some some fishy business, so he goes to investigate, and he realizes that uh, he's got super senses, but what he really needs is a detective's mind. So he calls his friend Jessica Jones, and then it just transitions into a Jessica Jones investigation, and Jessica Jones realizes that uh, one of the clues is alien in nature, so she calls up her old buddy Carol Danvers, and now we're in a Captain Marvel story. Each of those transitions was so seamless that it didn't just feel like um, like one short story ending and another beginning. It really, even though the art style was shifting and the writing style was noticeably shifting, and sometimes it was quippy and sometimes it was melodramatic, that was kind of fun because um, the way the clues would feed into each other, it never lost the momentum of the investigation. Yeah. See, I actually, up until about the, oh, I don't know, the... um maybe the Avengers thing, but definitely like when we got to the like Annihilation Scourge aftermath stuff, I kind of thought that it was the same writer for all of it. Like I actually thought that Ewing was just writing the whole thing. Like I didn't realize that we were, I knew that we were shifting art teams, <laughs> which I thought was really, really good uh, because we were working with different characters. But I just kind of thought, oh, this is all the same like writer. And then we got to the Avengers stuff and I was like, no, surely Jason Aaron's writing the Avengers thing because Jason Aaron's writing Avengers right now, but it took me like that long before I real. And then I got to the uh, like the Agents of Atlas stuff, and I was like, no, this is definitely Greg Pak because that's like Greg Pak's baby. And it was like, but it took me, you know, like thirty pages before I had the moment of like, wait a minute, <laughs> I. You know, I think I re- I, I just realized it because uh, for whatever reason, uh, the way Kelly Thompson writes Carol Danvers, I just like clicks for me. I like her voice for her. And sure. um, it's like funny. She's got that kind of like Han Solo done with it all gruffness that uh, I don't think a lot of other writers have pulled off as well. And I was just like, oh, there's no way this is anyone but Kelly Thompson when I was reading that those pages. <laughs> yeah, well, and uh, I was like, oh, they have the artists of the people that are doing these books right now. That's really cool. I'm glad that Ewing's getting to write for a lot of different people. And then I was like, no, wait, I'm definitely wrong. <laughs> you, you actually, well, one thing you bring into my attention, um, one other thing I enjoyed about it was I, uh, we were talking briefly before the podcast about um, Marvel's movie slate and how um, I've heard a criticism from um, not comics fan peoples, but who really like the movies, that, that it feels like Marvel's running out of characters, right? They're making a movie about the Eternals and Shang-Chi, and these don't seem like A-list characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, are they going to run out of steam? Are they going to run out of ideas? Are they going to run out of story? And looking at this, I'm like, wow, the future of Marvel Comics is so fresh. Like, um, they had all that Greg Pak, Agents of Atlas stuff, and those are all brand new characters, and they seem to really be trying to do something like that and those champions characters have never been adapted into anything other than comics and they're they're doing real stuff with that like marvel the comics seems like uh it's just on fire with doing new characters new concepts we're putting the focus on the future and i really like all this future stuff like i love these new characters for sure this book features a gi- excuse me a gigantic like number of characters in it and and you're right like most of the transitions between between scenes like work really really seamlessly like you kind of understand why these characters are getting passed by and even if you don't know who all of these characters are which I, I would imagine most people don't you still kind of understand like oh you know like you know who Captain Marvel is and then she has to go investigate with these other characters you might be implored to look them up and then like at least there's usually at least one character scene to scene until like you get to the middle of the comic that like appears in the next scene or whatever. And so it does work really, really well until you get to the middle. And then you kind of start getting uh, some of these stories that are set off by themselves, which some of them are really good. And some of them work less well, in my opinion. But I would be really curious to give this book to somebody like, uh, like to my dad who hasn't read a comic since he bought like an issue of Silver Surfer in the 70s. Oh, and to see what he thinks. 
Yeah, just because uh, he knows Marvel and he, he gets the vibe, but uh, th- these characters he would be completely unfamiliar with. And he loves the movies. Like uh, when he saw the champions, he would have no idea. He'd be seeing Kamala Khan and Viv Vision, and maybe he'd make the connection to Vision from the Avengers, but I don't even know if he remembers that. I, I just wonder what, he, what someone else would make of it because we're pretty uh, uh, keeping up with these things. That's true. Yeah. So what? So of all the different different little vignettes in this comic, if you had to pick one or two, which ones are the ones that you that that caught your eye the most or the ones that uh, that you found like the most compelling or ones you enjoyed the most? Oh, that's a great question. I, I have a boring answer, which was that um, I was really attached to the ones that are connected to the books I'm keeping up with. So like uh, I mentioned that Daredevil one at the beginning with him and Elektra. Yeah. And that's like uh, I read last month's Daredevil when it came out. I read this month's Daredevil the week after uh, uh, Incoming came out. And that vignette with him training with Elektra, that's what was going on in Daredevil at that time. And that was a great between the scenes scene. And I love that. Same yeah. thing with um, Annihilation Scourge. I love keeping up with Guardian stuff. And um I thought Annihilation Scourge was a ton of fun. I, we talked about it last time on the pod. And uh, we, I, we, we love Ewing, so I'm really excited to see him dealing with... Uh, I'm looking at the cover of issue one night right now. And like Nova's back, Philavella's back, Moondragon's back. I'm so... Uh, Rocket is in a white suit. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really liked... Um, I also really liked the, um, the scene with Miles Morales and Peter Parker on the bridge. And that's uh, interesting because um, right now the Miles Morales series is not working for me. And uh, but that scene uh, I found really poignant, actually. I thought that was really good. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on on the Miles Morales series. That was one that I was really excited when it started. And it's one that I've like fallen off since then because there's something about that one that that isn't working for me super well either. Uh, but I did like Ahmed's little sort of vignette here with Miles and Peter. Uh, and I think he like nails sort of their not necessarily like mentor mentee relationship, but just that like they both really care about each other. Yeah. And they're just like looking out that he's got each other's backs real hard. Yeah, totally. I, for me, the, the like vignette, I think that was uh, my favorite in all of this and makes me really excited for what's coming um, in March was the, the e-viewing. Um, and I think it's Kim Jacinto also is the artist. Uh, yes. And who's going to uh, the, the champions scene, which is sort of the lead in to them on outlawed. Cause I think that e-viewing absolutely nails the voice of all of these characters. And it was kind of wonderful. I'm so, yeah, I like that one too. I'm stoked that you said that. Uh, we talked I talk about this incessantly. So we definitely talked about this last time, but um, I think that a lot of creators don't gracefully necessarily transition into comics. I think it's a, it's a tough ask. And um, and I think e-viewing, for me at least, is uh, like an iron heart. I, you really could tell that she had a background in words and that she had good words, but maybe her scripts she had to learn to uh, do a little bit more of the comic for, uh, medium. And uh, yeah. I was feeling this Champions thing a lot more. Like I, I can feel her getting more comfortable and I'm excited to get really into an e-viewing book. It hasn't happened for me yet and I'm excited for when it does. Yeah, just like the, the moment when they're watching the news and there's like this white supremacist senator guy and everybody's like, Oh, that's so fucked up. Like why are people so fucked up? And like, that's so scary. And like Kamala Khan's like, no, like white people are just, that's how they are. This is not the like leaning into the fact that people who are like crappy, like racist and like whites, like all these other different people, like they're not stupid. They like know full well what they're doing. And that's even scarier. And like somebody like Kamala Khan would be the one to say that. And I thought that was really, really, really powerful and like really, really well written. And that scene um, on a more totally. playful note, the, yeah. the uh, 
the uh, Jonathan Hickman, R.B. Silva, uh, Queer Eye, Mr. Sinister was uh, <laughs> delightful. I keep on seeing uh, people say that Hickman is so serious. He's so dry. He mostly focuses on plot and not character. And I'm like, are you reading the same Hickman? Hickman is hilarious. His character work yeah. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's so funny. There's so many moments that he just like writes like like dry humor the best. Yeah, completely agree. And I also... um. I just I as it's probably well known at this point, but uh, X Men is good right now, and I love X Men, and it's been great. Um, (laughs) I love the way where you're seeing X the story in X Men, how it's shaking the Marvel world right now, and and the the way that manifested in this, where um like that racist senator um is the same racist senator who is uh coming out against mutants uh elsewhere in the in the universe right now. Yeah, and I love too like the way. Like there's so clearly a power of of what's going on in the Dawn of X books in this in this one shot, uh, but that's still like largely kind of separate. And I like I like that aspect of it too. That like it's affecting the Marvel universe, but it's still like affecting the Marvel universe in like a geopolitical kind of way, not in like a where like the Avengers and the X Men are gonna like duke it out or whatever. Like I like that yeah. it, it feels just like smarter than than it has any right to be. Smarter than like what? Remember what Dark Rain was happening, and just every other issue, Norman Osborn was in it, and he was punching somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, this is not this is not that. Like, they're not going to like, you know, duke it out on Fifth Avenue or whatever. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is something I think DC was doing really well last year, or maybe two years ago, around the time like Dark Knight's Metal was happening. There, a lot of the books were self-contained, but you could see the ripples of these events. Uh, in the, the discrete corners of the universe. And I think uh, DC's kind of the last couple of months been spiraling into more and more interconnectivity where Marvel has yeah. uh, been stealing. I guess that's what happens every two years. They switch what they're doing good and bad. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel myself like way more compelled by all the things that Marvel's doing right now. And not just because I host a podcast where I read Marvel books, but... Um, I'm, I'm more excited for, I I've had a great last two years with DC. It's been, uh, one of the best two years of DC in recent memory, but, uh, I'm really excited for the next year of Marvel, uh, in a way that I can't say the same for the distinguished competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so the way this book kind of ends, so we kind of wrap up all the, yeah. the uh, different vignettes and then we get into, um, a fantastic four jaunt and then that leads into Iron Man things. And then that leads into the end of the mystery. And those are all the the slot written parts because he's writing those two series right now. What did you feel about the way that the story, uh, the story wraps up? So we kind of have, um, we realize that the, the, the murder victim is this Cree character that the, that's obscure Cree character that the fantastic four knew. And then we catch his, uh, uh, gay lover who's a scroll. And then that guy dies. And then we cut to a big old rally where the Kree and Skrull are being united by one uh, Hulkling of the Young Avengers. So how did you feel about how this mystery wrapped up? Uh, Well, as far as the murder mystery was concerned, I thought, again, really on point for me, uh, because after and this is another reason why I thought the issue was so strong, because a lot of the vignettes, like when uh, Jessica and Carol were collaborating on the figuring out the outer space clues, a lot of them paid off in the final sequence. And uh, then the Fantastic Four's involvement and um, and uh, the Masked Raider. It, uh, It made sense why all these people would be the ones to have to take part in the mystery. And so that resolution made a lot of sense. But then I have other feelings about the rally itself. But first, what did you think of the uh, the mystery resolution? 
I thought the the resolution of the merge mystery, while I love the interconnectivity of the whole thing, was like a little bit weak, but only because I feel like it kind of came out, not came out of nowhere, but it just wasn't like it just wasn't what I was expecting because I didn't have any familiarity with the character like that they killed. And, and that was kind of the point. I think I, I think the, the, the part of it that that was weird and I didn't realize it was weird until I got to the credits and I realized like that slot wrote the last like main parts of the book was mm-hmm. like I kind of expected the master Raider to show up again. And like because that's because the master Raider as a character has been sort of the the thread connecting this book to uh, like Marvel Comics a thousand and Marvel Comics a thousand one, which was like Ewing was the thread through all that. And and the end of this issue teases like that you'll see the master Raider again in, in 2020 and it doesn't say what book he was in. But like his his inclusion while starting this whole mystery, I kind of I guess like w- wanted some more resolution on that front in this issue. Uh, and maybe that's unfair of me to say uh, because I feel we're, getting, we're getting more of that story. But I don't know. Like I feel like like that is a story the master Raider things and the murder mystery is the, he's the catalyst for that. But then that story ends and it leads into empire, but maybe the master Raider's coming up again. I don't know. It just felt not hollow, but like a little bit weaker than sort of the, all the fun, different interconnected vignettes. It was kind of like, Oh, these two characters that are really obscure are both dead now. And I don't really know this, what this whole tree thing is, but that's, <laughs> you know, interesting. And I also thought like the last section of the arc, which I think is, is Carlos or Carlos Pacheco was one of the weaker sections. So artistically, the end of the book doesn't look as pretty as the beginning of the book does. Well, so I did want to, now that you're mentioning it and I do want to temper my glowing praise, the Mass Raider stuff, uh, I like, uh, don't really feel anything for the Mass Raider as a character, mm-hmm. but I guess I sort of understand his function. And uh, so I'm just waiting patiently. They're dragging out this mystery for so long that I, if I invest in it, I'm going to go crazy. So I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to care about this until you give me a reason to. And you keep on promising to. And maybe I will one day. And otherwise, I'm going to check out with a lot of his stuff. Like, I, 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 it's intriguing. And I like the tone of Ewing doing weird cosmic stuff. I loved him on Ultimates. And he did really cool stuff on his run on Inhumans, which I think is uh, criminally underrated. Royals. Uh, Royals. Yeah, the Royals book. I thought that book was really cool. Um, so mm-hmm. he, I, I'm sure this Mass Raider character can be something when they give it to me. It just like hasn't happened yet, and it's not going to be here. Maybe it'll be an empire. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to talk about um, the unification of the Korean Scroll Empires, which is huge, and um, the heel turn of Emperor Doric Eighth known to his earth friends as a uh, hulkling that part threw me because i i guess knew that you know his like f- future destiny or whatever was to lead like the crees and the scrolls i didn't realize it was to lead them to like kill earth i didn't know that either that's interesting uh um and and i'm here i i i just think him and him and billy are very cute and i i don't know how I don't know how this is going to shake out. And that has me, that has me a little nervous, but if this is what empire is, that's cool. That's dope. Let's go. Well, I feel like, um, the Cree and the scrolls are like, as long as they've been around, they've been there, each other's nemeses. Right. Right. And this is just like a huge trigger that's never been pulled is like, what if the Crees and the Skrulls were unified? And when they introduced Hulkling and they said, oh, he's going to be the ones to uh, unite them. I, at the time, you're like, well, they're never going to actually tell that story uh, because then they would have to unite right. the Crees and the Skrulls. And the whole point of them is that they're eternally at war. So the fact that they pulled that trigger, they, all those triggers is what has me uh, really stoked because um, Hulkling embracing his destiny seems like an important thread that I never thought that they were going to pull. And then um, having a united Kree-Skrull empire makes a lot of sense because all they've been doing is blowing up their homeworlds for the last 
when did uh, Galactus eat the the throne world in like the eighties? It's been yeah. like a bad couple of decades for the Kree's and the Skrull. Um, so I love that this feels consequential. Like all of the stories um, that have been going on uh, from Galactus eating the throne world in Fantastic Four in the eighties to um, all the uh, annihilation wars in the early two thousands to Bendis blowing up Hala and his at the end of his Guardians run in the twenty tens. Just like uh, this is a great conclusion and consequence of all that happening there the and then i and i love marvel space stuff works for me when they the, the politics of it are interesting so these two weakened empires are kind of being forced to come together under this ruler who's got a magical sword and a crazy destiny he's the child of two of the of the greatest heroes of each empire that's just like that's great stuff that's great superhero stuff yeah and i like the way that you describe it like i know that all these stories like or that this story hems on all of the uh, sort of conclusions of these other like big cosmic stories. I didn't know which ones they were. And so I'm very glad that you're here. Uh, <laughs> but like, I think that's really, really cool. And so to, to do something that builds on years and years of continuity, I think is really, really um, exciting. And I think, too, like this promises sort of a more uh, for spotlight on the characters that like were in the Young Avengers. So like a lot of them have had solo books kind of in the last few years. And I think this might be a chance to like get the gang back together, even if it is just like for a tie in to Empire. And I'm excited about that because I think those characters are a lot of fun. Totally. And I also I know I know there's people out there who um, they like uh, like a fluffy Wiccan and the Hulkling uh, cuddling on the couch and watching Netflix. Yeah, but I I love it when those two get tested. I like um they just they they really go through the ringer and it's a great love story where um after this like really difficult stuff comes through they always pull through together and like what could be a bigger test than my fiance embraced his destiny to become the uh, emperor of the most dangerous space faction that's invading my planet like great I why are we reading superhero comics if we don't want to see lovers engage in an intergalactic space battle? Yeah, that's almost worse than planning a wedding. Like that's pretty bad. <laughs> I know Wick, uh, Hulkling wanted to plan that wedding and Wiccan was like, "You could do it." And now he's so Wiccan is furious. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I think I uh, I think that part of it, that part of it is 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 super 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 exciting and yeah, there's there's a lot to look forward to. The the weird part is um we don't like uh, I guess in the abstract sense we know he always was meant to to take on this role and uh, Hulkling was meant to become the emperor of this crazy space alliance yeah but we don't know personally what turned him and he doesn't like he's never given a sign he's always been loyal to earth every time he's had been tempted to help the career of the scrolls he always picks his human friends so and that to me doesn't seem like a hole that seems like the mystery right we have to see what turned hulkling and that's got to be what empire is going to be about is what's going and i love that hulkling gets to be at the center of these events i i mm. never thought he would be so central to a big marvel story when he was first introduced 20 years ago right 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 yeah that that scene that um because it was teeny howard that did the scene with them her and jim chung he just gets off the phone and he's kind of like okay i'll do it and yeah we have no idea but it seems it just seems so casual yeah it doesn't yeah 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 mm-hmm mm-hmm no, that makes sense. Well, folks, that is our discussion of incoming briefly uh, because we are at the beginning of a new year. Uh, and I want to thank Jake for being on again. Uh, Jake, as we look forward into Marvel uh, 2020 things, uh, is there anything that you're sort of the most um, excited for of the things that are announced or of things that you think might happen or or things that, you know, you kind of have your eye on or are at least like, I want to see how that plays out. Um, yeah, of course, definitely. I am. Um, I think of everything that's been like officially announced. The thing I'm most excited for is um, 
uh, Al Ewing taking on Guardians of the Galaxy, which we already talked a bunch about. I, mm-hmm. uh, I have, there's been Guardians runs I've liked since the big Abnett and Lanning run, but nothing has been as good. And I think Ewing is going to blow that out of the water. I think this is going to be the best run of Guardians of all time with a bullet. Dang, that's high price. That's... Uh, I believe in Ewing. <laughs> um, and speaking of giant space bullets that phase through the Earth... I'm also obviously excited for everything that's happening in the X-Men world. However, of the things that have been so far announced, nothing is setting my world on fire. Like Ben Percy on Wolverine. That's intriguing. I'll check it out. And then we got a Cable book. I don't know why. Cable's like would be, I think, my like number 75 choice of a character to get a solo series after like yeah. Bling and uh, Glob Herman, for example. Uh-huh. Um just off the top of my head. Uh, but I, I, they're going to keep on announcing X-Books. They're announcing way too many X-Books. They still haven't announced um, Vida Ayala's ongoing or um, Leah Williams' ongoing. And they were my two favorite new writers to fall in love with in 2019. And whatever they're doing in X-Men is going to be glorious. So whether that comes out, that's going to be uh, my other most anticipated. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Of the of the like new X-Books that have been announced that are like debuting in 2020, I am actually really excited for what Zdarsky and the Dotsons are doing the like short four issue X-Men Fantastic Four thing but Hellions Cable Wolverine Giant Size X-Men I think could be really really cool just I like I like Dodderman and Ben Oliver who've been the artists that are going to do this one shots I think that book has the potential to be really fun but I think it's only going to be like five issues um those two mini series are the things that I'm excited for but the other stuff is like well you know need more X books uh, <laughs> Marvel is like a Marvel Marvel's like a restaurant where you're like, oh, this was really good. And they're like, oh, it's really good. Well, you can't leave here until you've had like 50 more plates and then you die. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like an all you can eat buffet. But instead of like, you know, paying like you have to like eat a certain amount in order to like get the deal or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I like that metaphor, actually. <laughs> that, yeah. But it's just like, <laughs> it's just like they, they put out like an X book and everyone's like, oh, we like X-Men. Uh, thank you for writing X-Men. And they're like, oh, you like X-Men. We're going to go from four books a month to 16 books a month. Can we double that? And then it's just like, uh, why don't they see the writing on the wall about this? Yeah, this will not end how you think it will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I, I would echo your, your excitement about Guardians. I think that book is going to be really, really exciting. I'm actually... Um, kind of like looking forward to uh, to uh, Carla Pacheco's uh, Spider Woman book that's coming out. I think in that March. looks weird. I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, it looks weird. That's why I'm excited for it. <laughs> yeah, it looks super uh, weird. I like uh, that she's wearing that, a mask again. I I feel like she should wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, agreed, agreed. Like the full body suit. Even though I really liked the the redesign with her her jacket. If she could keep the jacket and still have yeah, keep the jacket, keep the mask, and that's the perfect look. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, I, I wanted to come up with one weird answer, and uh, so I would love it if they announced something with Heroes for Hire, which is my other favorite Marvel property. Ooh, that would be cool. Yeah, I don't know what Luke Cage I, and, and Iron Fist are doing. Yeah, it's been a li- been a minute since we've seen them, and I would love a book that was um, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Misty Knight, Colleen Wing, and Jessica Jones, and that's the lineup. And they're Heroes for Hire. It's the five of them, and maybe like a six wild card member. I don't have a dream creative team picked out yet, but this is the book I've wanted to read for years, and it's been like a while since we've seen those characters. They kind of all appeared together a little bit, I guess, in in Bendis's Dare- Bendis and Marquez's Daredevil or Defenders book. But yeah, that was the last time we saw them. But that was weird. And again, with Bendis, it always feels like it's in this alternate Bendis continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like 
I feel like them and maybe less of them, but like Shang-Chi's got to be start appearing in some books soon because he's getting a movie in a year and they got to like start hyping that. Uh, oh, sure. I, I could get into that. I love Shang-Chi too. I love I, uh, martial arts, the street level stuff, Daredevil, the Heroes for Hire. That's like a great, if it's in that dark New York that never existed where Hell's Kitchen is a bad neighborhood somehow, I'm into it. Yeah. Um. Still with like, yeah. So Echo All, like that, that's all sounds super cool. I'm excited for like when Free Comic Day starts because I, um, I know that like the X-Men, I guess, are like gearing towards an event, which is, I don't know, good or bad, but like I'm ready for something kind of like, although I've liked all the Don of X books, like I'm ready for something kind of like substantive, like House of X and Powers of Ten to happen again. Uh, but I think it's just because I'm really impatient. <laughs> and then I am looking ahead to the end of the year. Uh, I'm not excited for a Black Widow movie in May, but I am super jazzed for Eternals because I think it looks hella weird. So it does and look Selma weird. Hayek. Yeah, Selma Hayek uh, is a actually the whole Angelina Jolie deserves a superhero movie more than anyone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, my thing with Eternals is I right. We're talking about like our favorite Marvel properties, and I think we've gotten pretty obscure. I would love to see um, you know, Paladin. Is that a Marvel character you're familiar with? Not really. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh, he wears a stupid purple suit. He's a mercenary. He fell in love with Misty Knight and the Abnett and Landing penned run of Heroes for Hire. Love Paladin. I would re- read a Paladin book in a minute. And even I can't be bothered to care about the Eternals. <laughs> That's fair. I don't care about them as characters. I just like love the cat. I think the cast is super fun. And I like want Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe to start making a bunch more weird movies like that. Yeah, if the movies, I mean, you're you're right. The movie's going to be weird and enjoyable, but like, I don't know. It just uh, I keep on thinking like, what was the best Eternals comic? Was it that Neil Gaiman one? Because that wasn't that good. <laughs> I don't know. I've never even read an Eternals comic, so I don't know that I have any an opinion to weigh in on. Well, the only one I could think of uh, that Jack Kirby didn't do was uh, that Neil Gaiman John Romita Jr. one from like 2007. I want to say, yeah, and it was yeah. Neither of their best work. <laughs> Oof, a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of excitement there. A lot of, a lot of, uh, good, good advertising for the Eternals. Uh, I don't know what books they're in, but they're getting a movie. Yeah, I mean, it was just like again, I could I could name so many obscure Marvel characters. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do um, like Moon Knight. I'm all about, and Guardians are all about. We were talking about um. Like we're getting a Franklin Richards book and we're totally jazzed about it. And then you just like the Eternals guys, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, the movie's going to be um, wackadoo. I'm definitely going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, Jake, thanks for uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, where can folks find you on the uh, the larger interwebs and things? Um, you can find me on Twitter at rambling underscore moose. I'm called that because I sometimes ramble. Um, And you can read my writing on multiversitycomics.com. I take a particular joy in my X-Men column, Mutant Diversity. And if you would read that, it would make me feel good. Because sometimes writing on the internet feels like you're writing into a void. And it's nice when people give you feedback, even if it's not always nice. (laughs) Yeah, don't be like a jerk, but you know, like like playful discussion is, is yeah just make just make your presence known if i know you're there uh that makes me feel like i'm less alone in a cold and unforgiving world yeah yeah a world that might hate and fear you <laughs> you can find me on the internet on twitter at kb gregory 13 and then also over at multiversity comics uh dot com which has a fun a bunch of wow i can't talk a bunch of fun content coming at you uh for this new decade 
Um, stick around after the break here to listen to the DC3 cast voice, and we'll see you uh, actually next week for another episode. See you then. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Hey, Marvel folks. It is uh, Brian, Vincent, Zach, back with another installment of Imagine If Stan Lee Had iPad. I believe that's what we decided the name was last time. Uh, we're going to talk about the <laughs> third and fourth issues of the Dawn of X titles that came out in December of 2019. Happy 2020, everybody. Um, Zachy boy, where are we starting tonight? You want to start with X-Men? We can start with X-Men, sure. Or did, do we put that at the end? I didn't know if we were going to go, like, book release order or... It, well, it's really well, up to y'all. You put all the power. Ryan's already dropping ready. the ball as the host by making you do this. <laughs> First of all, we are co-hosts. We are a uh, we are a socialist oh, we know collective. That you, no, you have more power than us. And that's, How the fuck that's do sure. I have more power than you guys? Because do. you're internet dad. Don't make me internet spank you or something. I don't know. You, you try. <laughs> This is gonna this is gonna be a whole new set of fans for us if we keep down this path. Um, so let's start with X Men. Okay. Um. So I, I'm interested. I guess the one in my notes, the question I'd written down about X Men for you guys was: Does this feel like the type of flagship book you were expecting from this title? Because I can say I'm 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 really enjoying this book, but this does not feel like what I thought the sort of main X book would feel like. What do you guys think? I, I think I, I, I think by issue four, it really does. But issue three was so bizarre. I uh, see. I would almost like say even at issue four, it still doesn't. And I think Ooh. it's good because of that. I feel like, I feel like it doesn't. I have some thoughts about issue four, but I want to talk about issue three first, obviously. Yeah. And what I mean, what I meant by that, I don't mean any sort of value judgment on this book. I really enjoy the title. I just thought that this was going to be more of like the, um, you know, Hickman described it as basically every mutant ever would be in the book. And so in my mind, it was going to be this sort of bigger, bombastic story. And each issue so far has been relatively self-contained with a a well-curated number of, of mutants in it. Um, but I'm really happy about that. I, I think this is this is such an amazingly fun and bizarre book to read. I mean, the horticulture is quite the collection of characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To say the least. <laughs> and, and, and I love... What if, it... what if Golden Girls... <laughs> <laughs> or eco-terrorists. <Yeah. laughs> is it Black Tom Cassidy that asks if it's 
whore, like the W horticulture. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, love that. Um, Black Tom Cassidy's canceled, by the way. Oh, of course he, he is. is very problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So what? Uh, so let's talk about this issue. Um, the. Uh, I mean, it's certainly an unexpected turn uh, to introduce these. New, they are new characters, right? We've never seen these characters before, yeah, as far I think as I'm so. aware. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of, of this issue? Um, um. It wasn't my favorite. Like, I, I like it in concept. Uh, the execution was a little... I, I don't know. It was very uh, weirdly uh, irreverent for my tastes or, or for, for what this book has been so far. I think that's just why I think uh, it's bizarre. I Vince, the X-Men purist coming out. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. N- not a bad issue, but perhaps my least favorite issue of almost any of these Dawn of X books by far. Oh, interesting. Uh, wow. Up I've till now, which is not we- have expected. When we when we talk about the next issue of X Men, that's like damn near my favorite. So this book is just like oscillating for me. Um, but yeah, I found like I, the idea of um, eco terrorists bumping up against uh, the mutants over this uh, new potential agriculture they've created out there is really fascinating to me it just the execution was was uh was kind of weird just uh, yeah just just too irreverent for my tastes i guess um there are a few things i really liked about this issue i liked that we got a little bit more gene gray and emma frost interaction i'm very excited for that giant size x-men issue with the two of them yes uh, I think next month, I'm pretty sure, is when that comes out. Um, yes. Which I like that they are doing those. Um, I liked I liked the irreverence of this a lot. Um, and I think that's why, like, kind of speaking to what Brian was saying about how this is kind of like, well, this isn't actually what you were saying. I'm going to put words in your mouth. But to me, it's kind of like the anti-flagship book. Um because it's just this series of one shots that are weird and and don't tell like a at least yet don't really have like an overarching story and actually kind of this book kind of just works as like a backbone for all the other books in a lot of ways like it's introducing some new ideas but it's also like building on a lot of stuff that we're seeing in other books um and but not in a way that feels insubstantial or or um you know gimmicky or exploitative in terms of like you know getting us to buy something that's of little consequence like i i don't know it's just really it it, it's really interesting i don't want to call it masterful that's like too strong of a word but it's it's special i like it so what i thought was so interesting not interesting is the wrong word what i think is so great about hickman as a writer is he makes choices that i would never think to make and then commits to them to such a degree that you're like, oh, of course that's the choice you would make. Like, for instance, he decides that all these old ladies aren't going to swear. <laughs> They're just going to say, like, A-word, S-word, whatever. Um, 
and it's just this little character trait but it really but then you're like oh, of course they're old ladies they have manners they're not going to swear just just a really odd choice and there are a bunch of those in this third issue that i think are just unexpected ways to approach this particular story and it's um it's it's a lot of fun i really enjoyed this issue for the irreverence and for the uh just the the less serious tone because the next issue by all accounts is is about the most serious tone we've seen from the book so far um and let's talk about Vince I want you to start cuz you you were talking about how much you love this issue so let's let's start you start off with you yeah th- that issue is masterful uh X-Men number 4 um the 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 mutants go to davos right <laughs> um which is when that was announced, I stood up where I was reading it on my phone and I Italian chef kissed into the sky uh, because that's such a great idea on its face. Um, and the execution to me, when you're talking about like an X-Men comic or a superhero comic, was damn near perfect. Just the the slow roll of... You know, the small group of mutants that 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 uh, is going to this conference, Magneto, Charles, um, uh, Apocalypse, uh, Apocalypse and uh, Cyclops and Gorgon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a, a slow roll uh, of Krakoa into the greater fabric of the socioeconomic uh, tapestry that is the world that meets at Davos, you know, and then to see uh, this plot behind the scenes slowly unfold and how they deal with that while uh, Charles and and Magneto are kind of negotiating on their terms and then uh, those scenes weave in and out of one another and then you realize that Charles knows what's going. They they all know what's going on. They expected this and they countered it perfectly. And it's they 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 come in as this group that is you know clearly uh, being met with skepticism by all these other countries, and then and and the the mutants themselves know that that's coming. And then to see them proven right about the way that they're going to be reacted to it just gives them the moral upper hand again again at the end and that that's why this book really is the backbone and that's why i like this issue more than number three because this is like the thesis statement for hickman's entire x-men right like the mutants exist in their own continent essentially and this is the way that the world's going to react to that and that all comes full circle in this issue, pretty much. Um, God, I thought I thought it was so beautifully done, and some of the best work that Lionel Yu has done so far, I think, with this title, just in the in the in the weaving of the two scenes together, and the the subtle emotion that's on everybody's face as they're navigating this, uh, it's top notch shit. Uh, I, can I, go ahead, Zach. Oh well, I was gonna. 
can I can I critique this a little a little bit? If sure. Vince will allow it, sure. Nah, yeah, of course. Allow? Okay, okay. First of all, I I think this issue is very good. I think it's better than the last issue. I think this is, this this issue is pretty inconsequential. I don't think that this issue does anything new that hasn't been done in the series so far. I think that this issue is just a flex in a lot of ways. Oh um, yeah, well yes, yeah, it is. It's, yeah. It, it's a big flex, both on like on a like literal and like a metatextual level too. It's like Hickman getting to like wax on Western civilization and the current political climate and just take dunks on everybody, which <laughs> I'm here for. Um, and like, and it's also you know the mutants just kind of like doubling down on everything. And and you're definitely right. Like this issue feels. I this this issue made me think about how, you know, we've already probably like the biggest event, arguably, of the Dawn of X status quo has been the death of Xavier, which didn't happen in this book and is now like being referenced in this book, which is really interesting to me. Like, I think typically you would expect something like that to happen in the main flagship book. And I think, like, the fact that it didn't and it's being referenced and, and built on in this way um, is really good. It, it all, it's also not, like, done in a way where I feel like if you're not reading X-Force, you're, you're missing out necessarily. And maybe someone who is only reading X-Men would disagree. I think that would be an interesting conversation to have. But it doesn't feel, again, kind of, like, exploitative in the way that, like, crossover comics sometimes can. I'm surprised neither of you have brought up to me what is the most interesting part of this book so far, of this issue rather, which is that this is the first time we've se- first time in a current story in a Dawn of X book we've seen Charles without Cerebro on his head. Mm. Well, mm. yeah. What was your uh, your problem with that there, uh, Vincey? Nothing. I was thinking. I was thinking about. Oh, it. I, I, I thought no you were. I thought, I thought you were implying that I had, I had missed an appearance or something, but I don't. I don't believe so. No, I mean the the first the the first issue of X Men opens with him without the helmet on, but that takes place in a pre Dawn of X. That's a right, flashback, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but that's not first... that's not what I was objecting to. I was I, I wasn't objecting to anything. I was oh, just okay. thinking. I, I was just going. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like, you know, but because but that's we... such a that's such a key point because there's he's sitting down with. The rest of humanity, right? Essentially. Right, right. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of folks, I don't know if the three of us talked about it, I think we did, how people were not sure if it was actually Charles Xavier or not, because we never saw his face. Mm. And so this is the first time we have confirmation that, yes, this is at least at least as much as, as we can be sure of anything in a comic like this. This is Charles Xavier, and, uh, you know, and, and the fact that he was taking the mask off mask taking cerebro off to basically say like you know i still love you <laughs> and i still believe in in humanity you know I, I i i see why this was the moment that hickman was waiting to take the mask off but i also wonder if hickman even considered that people would think it wasn't really charles yeah i don't know i think he i mean he I feel like he probably had to have. I also read that scene as also like a further flex of, you know, like 
you tried to kill me and you may have you may even think that I was dead but here I am mm-hmm. like I'm Rocky real like a hurricane yeah 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 the the boy is back in town <laughs> yeah absolutely but I thought that was a very um I thought it was a very interesting move to have that happen in this book, in this issue. Um, but yeah, I, I I adored this issue. I thought it did just about everything you would want this type of an issue to do. It, it is a flex, very much so. But it's also a reminder to the reader that while things may look bleak in other Dawn of X titles, ultimately the power amassed both like financially and politically and just like you know super poweredly by by Xavier is going to be pretty hard to to be topped by anybody it just shows how strong how strong the mutant position is right now mm-hmm. yeah yeah which is uh it's it's refreshing yeah, it's definitely a weird, not weird, that's the wrong way. It, this is definitely an, an unusual place for the mutant stat, status quo to be. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, But I'm, I'm here for it, for sure. Uh, are we ready to move on to a second title? Sure. Yes. Uh, Vince, you pick. Uh, Marauders. Marauders. My favorite Dawn of X title still. Yeah, yeah. Not mine. Um, but I do like it better than I think the last time that we talked about it. Okay. Um, so the first issue is very much a, uh, I say the first, I mean, issue number three is very much a, uh, a Shaw family book, um, sort of catching us up on, well, it's, it's Sebastian Shaw reincarnating his son on Krakoa. And, uh, yeah, Zach, why don't we start with you? What did you think of this issue? Uh, I did not care for this issue. I was very um, uninterested in this. Mostly, I I didn't even know Sebastian Shaw had a son before this. And so I had no connection to him or his story or... I you know I wasn't sure if I was supposed to know about the events that it was referencing before this if this is new information or if this is stuff that has happened in previous X books. Um, I yeah I I didn't care for this much at all. I mean, if you don't know about this, do you think I had any clue that Sebastian Shaw had a son? I don't know. I don't know how much you know not. about X-Men. Very little. I'm not, that's not true. I, I have not been an active X-reader in a very long time. Okay. So, that's you know, fair. this that's is uh, a lot of this was, is new to me. So I, I was kind of in a similar boat to you. I thought that there was some... I, I, th- I think that there's a lot to be learned about Shaw from this issue. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if any of it is particularly re- revelatory if you know the character already. Yeah. Vince would say you. Um, I, I thought I was really effective at. Uh, first of all, Shinobi Shaw is an old character. Um, I'm not. I'm not familiar with the events of his d- death slash disappearance, whatever. 
Um, but it is, it is an old character. I'm sure it, this is all uh, very on the up and up as far as continuity is concerned. So I'm sure that stuff is old information. But it does such a good job of, of getting that across to the reader that it doesn't matter, like like you were saying, Brian. Um, and I just think it's it's kind of like the Davos issue. It's a little bit uh, more about how the mutants are going to interact with the world at large, right? Um, and it, it's it's a it's kind of a more sinister, maybe uh, underhanded, uglier side because Sebastian Shaw is, is more of a rogue than uh, more of a brute, I think, than uh, you know, like Xavier is uh, presenting to the world, right? Um, and so I think it's still making good on its uh, pirate theme in that way, right? Um, but I, yeah, I, I thought I thought this was fantastic. Uh, I do think, I yeah, this is probably my favorite Dawn of X title. Still, I think the art's really solid, um, even though the the art team is getting switched up on this one a little more. Um, I, I yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah, I um, I, I was thinking about this issue a lot after I read it. What I've been doing for these chats of ours is I've been banking a bunch of these titles and then reading them all at once because I I think that there's just so many books that to try and keep up weekly, I get confused. Whereas if I can just kind of park them all in a corner and then and then come back and read them, it's just easier for me. But when I was reading this issue, I thought, like, oh, this is, this is really, this really doesn't advance the Marauders' story all that much. But I've realized that every one of these books so far has, with the exception of Fallen Angels, and I'll say maybe it's to Fallen Angels' detriment, that there hasn't been an example yet of there being a story that really isn't about the plot, but is more about just making sure you're aware of what the tone is and making sure that you're aware of sort of where all the pieces are laying on the chessboard and just because the book is dub all these books are essentially double shipping you can do that without losing the audience month to month so i i've been really enjoying these sort of little side stories each each of these ongoing series except for x-men has had an overall plot that's been interrupted by these little side stories, whereas X-Men is all those little side stories, if that makes any sense. No, yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I mean, if we want to move on to the next issue... We can, sure. I, I really liked the next issue a lot. I just didn't care for issue three at all. Um, but issue four was very interesting and had some actually some pretty big zack nip in it like what give it to us can you can you guess can you not guess um i feel like i'm much more aware of your dc nip than your marvel okay. nip okay okay the well the the reveal at the end is that um oh. this this like depose or not depose but like this um this lady who's kind of leading this anti-mutant agenda goes to the previous Hellfire Club from Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. Mm -hmm. 
which I am here for. <laughs> yes. I, I forgot you were the Wolverine of the X-Men boy. I am. That's me. Uh, um, but yeah, there were other things I liked in this issue, too. I really liked um, Kate and Bishop's kind of chemistry that they had going on there. Not like a sexual chemistry, but like just their kind of like, you know, their their interactions, their kind of their back repartee. and forth. Yes, their repartee was very, very pleasing, very enjoyable. I thought the the reveal of this, um, you know, there, there's kind of been, this is something that I love about these books so far, are these kind of like offhanded mentions to things that are going on in the world. And I think this had been something that was like brewing earlier in this book, but this, you know, this woman who claimed that her husband had touched a gate and disappeared, but it turns out, we find out in this issue that, She's just been hiding him in a panic room because he loves mutants, <laughs> um, which is great. I love it. But I don't know. You guys really like this book, so why don't you gush on it? Um, they they recreate a scene from Caddyshack in Marauders <laughs> number four. That's so. right. Bishop goes, we're all going to get laid. <laughs> Actually, they kind of smash two Caddyshack scenes together because they use a, a, a reference to Journeys Any Way You Want It, which is the scene yes. where Rodney Dangerfield rips the thing off of his golf bag and it's a radio and then he cranks it up and they're all dancing on the golf course with the scene where Rodney Dangerfield is driving his yacht around and uh, ends up wrecking Judge Smale's brand new uh, The Flying Wasp. Is the name of the boat. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, uh, ten out of ten. The Caddyshack references were great. Uh, yeah, I mean to to sort of reinforce what what both of you have said. Uh, yes, good Caddyshack stuff, but also um, no, I I really liked the the Kate and Bishop. Uh, hey, Kate Bishop, look at that. Um, the Kate and Bishop repartee. I thought that this. This issue sort of did the opposite of what the prior issue did, which was the prior issue was all about sort of the world in which Kate and her marauders are out. It, giving us context for what Kate and her marauders were up against internally, and this is all about what Kate and her marauders are up against externally. So that, that was a really nice sort of uh, flipping of the script from the prior issue. And... Uh, I think Pyro has been maybe my low-key favorite Dawn of X character. He showed up uh, to great effect in both of these issues. And, uh, yeah. Good stuff. I I just feel like Marauders is the book for me right now that is going down smoothest. Interesting. I think it would be, like... I'm going to rank these. It oh, would... We'll save our rankings for the end of the show. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. So we started with X Men. That Zach picked X Men. Vince picked Marauders. Uh, let's fall on our swords and do talk about Fallen Angels for a little bit. Yeah, I know. I like championed this book after the first issue, but uh, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not going anywhere, and it's so highly specific to Psylocke's story that it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's a part of these Dawn of X books 
No, all, it yeah. doesn't at all. I, you know, there's there's one very specific connection, which is just you know, which we're seeing in other books too. But this this is specifically talking about one threat to the new mutant status quo, which is the idea of sort of technology being the threat to the mutant status quo. And I think that in and I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Brian Hill. This is not about him as a writer. I just don't think that they're doubling down on that technological threat enough yet like I, I i think the point of this is supposed to remind us of the like the years 100 and 1000 from powers of 10 just like this is the beginning of when technology could spiral into those future scenarios but there's but i don't know how much of that is just me wanting to connect this to the dawn of x books versus are there actual right. connections there it doesn't yeah it doesn't i mean i feel like I, it at all well i would argue i think it actually kind of does like i feel like this like feels like okay i mean it's kind of like explicitly stated in the fourth issue like uh you know it was it was humans and it was mutants now it's machines um but like I, I don't know. I, I thought anchoring it with Psylocke would be really cool, especially coming off this new status quo where you have, you know, Betsy and Psylocke as their own separate people. But it's just so obtuse and, and impenetrable with like this kind of history of Psylocke that is not well presented. I, I don't think at least yet. Um, and I feel like, I feel like Laura and Cable are being really kind of underused, maybe even like misused, maybe if that's like not too extreme. Um, yeah, I just I don't I don't know. This this book um, feels to me kind of like what I expect these upcoming like solo books to feel like that I'm not terribly excited about, you know, like Wolverine and Cable. Um this feels like what I think those will be like. And I kind of feel like you can just read the, the other five books that are out right now and have a really satisfying experience with, with the X line right now. Mm -hmm. Do we have anything more specific to say than that? Mm. It's up to you guys. No, nothing, nothing. No, I do want to say this is not the terrible Kadransky, mm. but it's not as good as the first. It's issue. getting there. It's, oh, yeah, it's getting say, there. There's, there's been a definite decrease in quality from the first issue. All right, Zach, you're up next picking a book. Okay, I want to pick my favorite, uh, New Mutants. Interesting. Uh, okay, this is my favorite book of the X Men line. I'll just go ahead and spoil that. Um, because I like how it is becoming like this. I mean, we've only had four issues and we've only had, I guess like two different instances of this, but I, I get the impression with like kind of stuff we've gotten from the back matter that this book is just about the, like all of the young mutants in general, like throughout the years. So like the new mutants, the young X-Men, um, all the like kind of various you know, generations of X-Men and uh, of younger X-Men. And so like the first arc we had was the like Hickman written new mutants, which I loved. And then this is Brisson doing um, a weird story with 
another group of kind of younger mutants who I feel like have been overlooked a little bit in recent years and also more Zach Nip, we return to uh, Beak and Angel from Morrison's new X-Men and catch up with them. Mm-hmm. Um, we get this like really kind of interesting um, terrorist plot line that I, I think is, I think is handled pretty well for the most part. Um, I think it works in the context of like the Don of X status quo. Um, but you also get these like great bits with other characters like Boom Boom and Armor um, and Pixie, a lot of like cool younger mutants. Um, and I, I really hope this book continues to do what it's doing um, with just kind of like jumping around with like small stories within the world of Dawn of X, but like specifically dealing with younger mutants. And I, I just I just really like the concept of this book. And I, I didn't expect it to be like this. I kind of expected you know, when they said that Hickman and Brisson would be co-writing, that, you know, it would be one of those things where Hickman and Brisson co-write, and then Brisson takes over the whole thing um, after the first arc. But it really seems like this is a book that Hickman might just kind of, like, jump into every once in a while when he has a story that he wants to tell, which is really cool to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, if the first arc was more like this arc... This might be my favorite book as well, but I enjoy, I'm enjoying this story so much more than the first story. Wow, too bad because it looks like the next issue is going back to the other story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be the devil's advocate here that says that I I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the irreverence of the humor of the first arc. Um. And th- this has a little bit of that, but 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 th- despite this, I think looking more colorful than the New Mutants Go to Space stuff, this is actually a lot more grim. Oh, for <laughs> I think, sure. I think, and that's not a bad thing. I definitely enjoyed these two issues for sure. This book is going to rank very highly for me when we do those. But um, but I, I do kind of miss the other stuff too. I almost wish they were running concurrently. It wouldn't make any. Se- it wouldn't make any like. Uh, thematic or narrative sense to show the two different stories in one issue of a book, but uh, but I do kind of miss seeing that stuff, and so um, I'm I think I'm gonna like bouncing back and forth. Um, it, it might make the book uh, rank more highly be, be, because of the variety. I think, um, but this was great. Yeah, just really really grim stuff, but also like there's stuff about the human condition in here and about, you know, resilience of, of mutants like beacon angel, right. That, that really hits home. Um, and how the, how the mutant drugs can be used to, uh, create some drama within these characters, right. The way that the, the way that the, the human connections to these characters uh, get bridged by that stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, I um, I guess it's just that, as, some, as I mentioned before, I have not been a, an active reader of multiple X-Men books. 
I mean, I've read certain books here and there. Like I was reading Uncanny X-Force. I read Wolverine and the X-Men. I picked up books here and there. The last time I read multiple X books at the same time, I was probably in middle school. So, like, a lot of the folks that are popping in and out of these books are not characters that I have a ton of uh, personal attachment to. And so I, I tend to take a lot of these stories at face value and not, not be looking forward to I can't wait until they do more with this character because I don't have those connections to these to these characters that much. Um, and so it's odd for me to to find, like, instant connections with these characters. But Beacon Angel, but I've read... I've read about half of Morrison's new X-Men, I guess. Um, but Beacon and Angel were a super fun pair to see come back. I really enjoyed that. And yeah, I'm just I enjoyed this story for all the reasons that you guys have already talked about. So let's move on. Vince, what's the next book we're gonna talk about? Uh Excalibur. Excalibur, okay. Yeah. I really like Excalibur, you guys. Uh, I still like it. It was it was one of my favorites coming out of the gate. And um, again, I just really like um, like one example is the focus on Richter, who has depression, essentially. Right. Which is preventing him from leaving his own home in this. And across these two issues, you see how that's dealt with and kind of preyed upon a little bit uh, by Apocalypse. And I think, you know, when, when you when you try to apply things like depression or the human condition to superheroes or whatever, it can it can some off sometimes come off um, unrealistic or cheesy or self serving or something like that. Or sometimes I- you drop off a bag of bones on someone's front steps. <laughs> sometimes that does happen, yeah. Um Look, man, he's not from Earth. He doesn't understand how we... I'm just, I'm just a caveman. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm confused by your, uh... <laughs> your... Your human ways are strange to me. Um, no, but... Uh, but I thought the Richter stuff was really engaging over these two issues, especially when you consider that it's not... Everything's not just, like, daisies, right? Like, like Apocalypse is clearly using Richter to some other end. Right. Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, it's like a little win for him. You know, um, we already talked in a previous episode about how much I like Jubilee. So that we're getting a lot more Jubilee stuff. Jubilee's dragon baby <laughs> on Otherworld <laughs> is great. Um, and the stuff with Pete Wisdom trying to cuck uh, Gambit <laughs> is, is. Oh, man, what a little what a little worm. Right. Like like. I can't imagine that there are any Team Pete uh, guys out there, uh, but uh, they all do the high hopes dance. <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> I knew it. I set it up, Zach. You spike it down. Um, oh, but, but I guarantee well there are the, all those Warren Ellis fans out there. They go for Team Pete. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but but Gambit Gambit is so good in this too, and um, yeah, man, Teeny Howard has a really great. Uh, handle on all these characters juggling them giving them uh unique voices that sound correct you know in my mind and you know i'm a marcus toe fan too i going back to the red, red robin Bull. baby yeah, yeah you know uh yeah what can i say this this book is vince nip so that is a run i did not get rid of by the way 
Yeah, I kept that. I kept that along with my Steph Brown Batgirl. So at a boy. Yeah. So they can so they can kiss in the like, in the long box. That's right. Exactly. I faced them well, towards the, one another. Vince kept two copies, one for kissing, one for not kissing. So. <laughs> <laughs> now that's some crossover. We we need crossover listeners to understand that exactly. one. Exactly. Long time crossover listeners. And 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 really just people who hung around us that one near Comic Con. <laughs> Um, Zach, what do, you, what do you think of Excalibur right now? I, I like Excalibur a lot still. I think it has one of like the coolest premises and the coolest like casts of the of the Xbox. It's the one that feels the most uh, standalone in some ways. I think other than you know like Apocalypse being in the book, it's the most kind of daring and different of the line i think which it really helps it um all the things that vince said i agree with i I was really kind of curious about how they were going to bring richter in since he um wasn't kind of there at the at the outset and i think the way he's incorporated in issue three and then like kind of the role that he takes on in issue four is really interesting um liked that stuff a lot so yeah i I really dig this book. Yeah, I actually think that this that issue three was the one that sold me on this concept. Um, and again, a lot of this might just be my my sort of selected Marvel reading over the past couple of decades. But I'm I was never the biggest fan of Captain Britain, and so having all of that Captain Britain stuff just sort of felt a little bit. Uh, foreign to me, pardon the uh, pardon the pun, and uh, but now that we're a few issues in, and the way that the Richter character, I loved sort of the uh, essentially the Marvel version of Reddit, <laughs> where Richter is posting. Um, <laughs> you know, I I really enjoyed that part of it. I think this book is is very good, and I think that this is the book. I don't know if this is exactly how you expressed it, Zach. This is the one that seems to me to have the concept that can last the longest mm. of all these books. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but it just seems... I, yeah. It just seems it can to, exist outside the status quo. Yes, long, exactly. Like, yes, It's not as dependent, yeah. Right. Especially if Apocalypse is not part of it necessarily going forward, then I think you could do this book forever. But I yeah. hope that Apocalypse is, is part of it for a long time. Because he's been a lot of fun. Um, any particular parts of this you enjoyed besides Shogo becoming a dragon? <laughs> Gambit's voice is just so good. <laughs> just the, the way Teeny Howard writes him. Fantastic. Can anybody read a Gambit comic without hearing his X-Men the Animated Series voice? I cannot. After I read these issues to catch up, I went to YouTube and I watched Best of Gambit. (laughs) I did. I did. I saw um, around Thanksgiving time the the scene of him and Gene in the kitchen making Thanksgiving (laughs) dinner. Have you have you seen that? I know what you're talking about. I do not know what you're talking about. You need to you need to look it up. It's really good. Okay. Uh, they might not be making Thanksgiving food, but they're in the kitchen cooking, and it's it's hilarious. Yeah, that's that's the only part of uh, of 
Excalibur I don't like is that I keep getting a bad uh, like Cajun accent in my ears whenever I read his dialogue. Oh, you mean a good one. <laughs> Sorry. Did I say bad? I meant great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do think that there's that there's going to be an interesting uh, conversation from certain members of the fan base who maybe are uh, the same folks who have problems with certain female Jedi, just how so many of these books are putting female mutants in such positions of power. Ah, geez. They're the best mutants. They are, but I was oh, going to say, I but think, they're the best. Yeah, I, I think Betsy is my my favorite mutant right now. Mm-hmm. I uh, yeah, she's good. There was a there was a question that some comic creator I can't remember who it was posed maybe six months ago on Twitter or Farmers Only, sorry. Um, <laughs> that it was uh, make your create your um, your five person X Man team. I remember your seeing ideal. this. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And I wasn't trying to be woke. I wasn't trying to be anything. And I but came you with wrote my Hillary Clinton, Chelsea Clinton, uh... <laughs> a bimbo-fied Bernie Sanders. <laughs> no, um, no. But I, I, I just I picked my five favorite characters, and they were all women. It just happened to be, you know, that are my favorite actors. He's, he's very horny. <laughs> Yeah, it's, there you go. It's the opposite of business. It's horny. Exactly. Horny. Oh, get out of here. Daddy horny Michael. <laughs> oh, what I would give for you to never say those words again. Right? Yeah. So, random side note. My mom watched like 20 episodes of Rest of Element over Christmas break and is now obsessed with it. Oh, boy. But the, oh. the, the twist is that it was only season four and five. <laughs> no, it was not. I did tell her. I was like, just pretend it ends after season three and you're fine. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Anything else about uh, Excalibur? Nope. Mm-mm. All right. I, I guess that leaves us with X-Force then. The final of the uh, of these ongoing series. And um, so I, I wanted to start this conversation by shouting out uh, sometimes make my multiversity cohort uh, slash mutant diversity writer slash manager at large at multiversity, Jake Hill. Uh, Jake was just saying basically how the expansion of the Dawn of X line makes doing a column like mutant diversity very, very difficult and how he's going to have to start sort of prioritizing certain books to be in the spotlight and certain books to not be. And he mentioned that he does not think that X-Force is going to remain in the spotlight for him. That this book does not feel essential right now. Ooh, that is interesting because I think it's like one of the most essential. Yeah, I'm not trying to throw shade on Jake here, but I kind of feel the same way as you, Zach. I feel like this is maybe, maybe besides X-Men, the book that is the most essential to what the overall Dawn of X line is trying to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do too. Uh, There's just, there's a lot happening here. What do you say, Vince? Um, I I think you know from a plot point perspective, yes, it is the most essential. I think from a style perspective, or from a sense of uniqueness, 
I can see how somebody would say that it's inessential or, you know, maybe, the, maybe these are two different uh, philosophies, but um, kind of ordinary. I, I think it's a perfectly, I think it's a perfectly fine book, but it is very much a straightforward, ordinary X-Force style book. I think the stuff, I think the stuff about Domino and, and rescuing Domino from this underground science lab is a very X-Force plot, uh, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I just think um, there, there are plot points within that are certainly essential to Dawn of X. As a whole, it feels like it relies on the Dawn of X status quo uh, the least alongside uh, Fallen Angels. Really? I feel like this one is like the most Dawn of X book. Uh, it's so like, I mean, like the whole first arc is about Xavier dying and then like resurrecting him. This is like, we get quiet council meetings or not quiet council meetings. I guess like this new, like whatever this X force is, you know, the, the CIA, which, uh, yeah, we yeah. About that. Yeah. um, this is like the book that's all about the human, uprising the human resistance i guess um the alt-right dark yeah, web the, yeah, <laughs> yeah really though for sure um and, and like yeah you you're... know we get a lot of like xavier magneto stuff in this book you're yes you're totally right you're totally right uh, i i think when you talk about the x-force team stuff which is granted that is half or maybe even less by the time we get to issue four of the actual book. I think I'm thinking more of that stuff. I think yeah. I'm thinking of issue the way that X Force is. Yeah. Yeah. You're right with the quiet council stuff. Yes. Well, I, I think you're both kind of right here because I think, I think it's a 50, 50 proposition. Yeah. Well, I was going to, what I was going to say is that the, there is this, um, This is the only one of the Dawn of X titles that I think if you picked up a an issue of not knowing anything about the Dawn of X status quo, you would still be you would still recognize it as an X Force book. Like I don't think there's anything particularly new mutancy about the New Mutants book, aside from the fact that there are young mutants in there. But like there's if there are things that are standard in New Mutant stories, I don't know if they're necessarily present in the New Mutants book. Same with um, Excalibur. Same with, I mean, except from like the presence of a Captain Britain. Same with the uh, the X Men book as a whole. Like, but X Force has has been for as long as there's been an X Force book. It's sort of been the the covert ops of the of of the X books, right? Of the of the mutants. Mm -hmm. And so it's recognizable in that sense. And I think that some people maybe are are not liking how traditionally X Force it is. But I think you're taking that concept and you're laying it over the Dawn of X status quo and I think that, that it meshes pretty well. Personally. Yeah. 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 Um I do want to say I think the art in this book is really good. I like josh joshua kassara mm -hmm. um but uh especially because it's dean white coloring 
Um, I just I just really like Dean White as a colorist, um, and so I I really enjoy how this book looks. I think this this book like totally matches like Lionel U stuff in X Men, but I think I like it better uh, by quite a bit. So yeah. What do you guys think of the um, this idea of the mutant CIA? Because I, at first, when I read it, I, I sort of recoiled at that idea, and I just thought, "Oh boy, we're we're getting into some uh, some dumb comic booky bullshit here." But I then, have high hopes for them. But <laughs> but then the other characters kind of say the same thing. Yeah, they kind of say like, "Well, this is probably a misguided uh, <laughs> connection to be making here." And so, I appreciated Percy taking that approach and and making it so that it was it was not that they were recognizing sort of the folly of making that of that connection. Yeah, they're not they're not saying that this isn't Amazon Prime's Jack Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. There, there is no one as uh, as effortlessly charming as uh, as John Krasinski in this book. Yeah, at no point does you know Forge turn and look directly at the panel and smirk at you. <laughs> Not yet, at least. Not yet. Yeah. It might. We might be getting there. That that day planner thing was a, was a bit much <laughs> um, in issue four. Which I don't. I don't know about you guys, but like. That is one thing across the line that I'm kind of just like really iffy on is like how the how the um, not like back matter, but like the supplemental pages are handled. It's really hit and miss for me. The infographic stuff, the infographic. Yeah, yeah, it's really hit and miss. Mm. More often a miss, I think, actually. That's that's interesting. I, it's I, either I, it's either I, it's either like cringy or like inconsequential. I feel like it's like <laughs> the two modes. Yeah, I think you know, I think Hickman's clearly the best at them. Teeny Howard's pretty good. The Marauders ones are funny sometimes, mm-hmm. for the most part, though. Yeah, I, I, I agree. See, I guess for me, I consider them almost all inconsequential. But I also think that they're fun little little sorbets to cleanse the palate. Like, yeah, uh, nice come little, on, nice little egg creams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Again, old school listeners are enjoying our uh, our bullshit tonight. But like the the list of of uh, like Charles Xavier owned uh, properties is so cheesy. <laughs> like Xavier Pharmaceuticals, Gifted Mind Technologies. Uncanny Valley Farms, <laughs> Summers News and Media, Evolution Energy, X Mark Spot Mining, Cerebral Firms, Phoenix Law <laughs> Offices, Salem Center Auctions and Real Estate, Blackbird Motors, Wolverine Waste Management, His Dream Philanthropic Foundation. But I think it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be cheesy and dumb, and so we can laugh at that. I don't think mm-hmm. that was supposed to be this grand moment of uh, of clever writing. Yeah, no, that 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 one was fine. There there have been others. Like the Forge one, for instance. I didn't I didn't care for the Forge one. It was a little too that I guess that was my case of being like, this is too irreverent. I don't like this. 
<laughs> for once, get this out of, get this out of my X Men. <laughs> for once, I am the least curmudgeon of the of the of the gang here. Oh, I don't know. I'm under the weather. I said you wouldn't notice, but I guess you did. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. All right, well, let's do a quick ranking here, guys. There are uh, five, correct? Five series as part of this? Two, three, four. I'm sorry, six. 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 So um, let's do it DC 3Cast style. Let's start at the bottom. And if we're going to get, if we're going to talk about one later, we say we'll talk about one later. Uh So um, I'll start. My number six is Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, my number five is, I guess it's X-Force. Mine's X-Force. I would probably say mine is Marauders. You guys can crucify me later. Oh my God. We're going to talk about that later. We will talk about that later. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, my number four is, uh, Excalibur. We'll talk about we'll, that later. We'll talk about that later. My number four is New Mutants. I know, my, we'll, talk, I know we'll talk yeah, about that later. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later. My my number four would probably be X-Force. Okay. Okay. Uh, my number three is New Mutants. I think uh, we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> my number three is X-Men. I think my number three is X-Men as well. We'll talk about that later. Uh, my number two is X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh are we are zach are we talking about that now or did you say three you said three I, 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 I said three but we've already talked about it so we don't have to talk about it i, I know i know uh, my, my okay, number two okay. is like my number two is excalibur same and my number one is marauders my number one is marauders you guys are insane no i know number <laughs> one is new mutants I think uh, you're you're in my list are the same Zach except Flip Marauders and New Mutants. I think you're right, yeah. But those four are clearly, I mean, they're they're on the they're on the the good tier and X Force and Fallen. No, I I had I had X Force at number four. Yeah, oh, he, you did. Okay, you yeah. ruined it. Never mind. Yeah, this you're insane wrong, this insane person put uh, <laughs> Marauders at number five. That's crazy. Much like putting oh. Michigan at number six in our uh, <laughs> in our well, when, when everything's rankings. good and it's just a matter of degrees, then you know. But also, uh, I've I've always said that Marauders is the Michigan of the Dawn of X line. <laughs> Which of these is the Exo Mano War of the Dawn of X? <laughs> Which one would Robert Venditti be most likely to write? <laughs> oh, Fallen Angels for sure. As soon as uh, as soon as Brian Hill leaves the book to do movies or whatever, uh, you know Venditti's the Hatchet Man on that. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for letting us uh, crash your podcast again, Marvel listeners. We'll be back next month. Until then, enjoy your Dawn of X books. <laughs>